Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. And let's be lifted up this morning with some prayer. We've been praying every Sunday, and let's continue it so that we go out on the highways and byways and that we tell others about the greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's pray this prayer. Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Amen. Amen. And God's been doing it, and I've been hearing some of those great, great encouragements as well. This morning, we're continuing with the theme, The Way of the Cross. The Way of the Cross, uh, as I've mentioned, Traditionally, it's about Jesus' last hours on earth. But we've been looking at the cross from its very beginnings, from the earliest parts of history, the earliest pages of scriptures. And I begin this morning to lead into our our topic on the cross. I begin with a, a question. I want to pose a question to you this morning. Have you ever met a name dropper? You know, you know who I'm talking about, right? You get into a conversation, and suddenly every famous person in the world's popping up. And they know this person and that. Oh, you, you got a computer problem? Well, I know Bill Gates. Yeah, we go way back. You know that kind of thing. People that, that they're, what are they trying to do? They're trying to impress you or something. Uh, I, I came across an article from a young lady who is it. She was an admitted name dropper, and she learned from it. Her name is uh, Leah Fessler. She wrote an article called Why Name Dropping Basically Always Backfires, and I want to give you a little excerpt. She says, last summer, I was invited to a fancy conference with lots of smart people, many of them writers and editors at the top publications, the kinds of people whose careers I hope to emulate. She was just starting out in journalism. At age 22, with less than a year of work experience, I was self-conscious about how little I'd accomplished by comparison. But I was also determined to search for networking opportunities, fantasizing that one of these editorial elite would be so impressed with my quick wit and intellect, they'd take me on as a protege. I soon found myself falling into an embarrassing pattern. Intimidated and eager to establish some kind of connection, I'd resort to name-dropping. One instance stands out where I found myself next to a kind-looking man. We soon got to chatting, and I discovered that he was an executive editor at a publication I loved. Without thinking, I then told my friend, uh, without thinking, I then told him, my friend, she puts in quotes, my friend, a fairly big-name columnist, had recommended his writing. We regularly exchanged articles. This is what she told him. That's awesome, he said, mildly impressed. Day later, same conference, I ran into the editor again. By chance, he had spoken with the columnist I'd name-dropped and mentioned meeting me. You probably see where this is going. But the columnist was confused. She didn't remember my name. 
In truth, the columnist was only an acquaintance with whom I'd shared a link or two via email. My exaggeration was embarrassingly exposed. Saying that you know someone, just saying it, that's altogether different than actually knowing that person, isn't it? But we live in a culture, we live in a time that encourages, it even celebrates these superficial connections. Now, on one of my social media profiles, I have 453 friends. Sounds like a lot of friends, doesn't it? But we all know all these people are not my friends. Some of them I have never met. If they walked up to me in person, we would have to be introduced. I wouldn't know them at all. I couldn't even consider them acquaintances because we've never been acquainted. Then there, there is the list out of, the, out of that 400 plus, there is that list that are indeed acquaintances. We've crossed paths maybe once, maybe twice. I don't know. And I, I really have not much knowledge of who that person is, and they don't know very much about me. Now, never meeting someone you know, or just being acquaintance, it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that this is wrong. It's not inappropriate. It's just that we're not really friends. We don't know one another. The number uh, on that friends list of 453, the number of friends is a lot less. And we all know that if we if we're, have these social media profiles. But yet the, the culture encourages it. This digital media, social media, it encourages us to embrace this idea that people we've never even met, they're our friends. And then one day, we might be standing with a big uh, uh, named editor and we're telling him, oh, my friend is this, this very famous columnist. When in truth, we've only been acquainted over a couple of emails. That's, that's superficial, isn't it? That is, that is a surface connection. That is not a deep connection. It's just surface. Knowing someone, really knowing someone requires an intentional effort. It requires intentional time. And in a word, it is relational. It, in our consideration of this topic, the way of the cross, we're going to see this morning that it was marked. The way of the cross was marked by those who had a superficial connection with God. They were insincere. They were posers. They, they did not know God at all. They had a superficial connection. They had no deep, meaningful relationship with God. And these people, Jesus called out many times in the Gospels. They were the Pharisees, the chief priests, they were the elders of the Jewish religion. They were the ones who were supposed to really know God. They were the ones who said they knew God, but it was all an outward show of their religion. And they weren't immersed in the essence of God. They didn't know the spirit of God. They didn't know the heart of God. Sure, they could tell you everything about him, though. 
They could recite the commands. They knew the law, chapter and verse. But they were like that social media friend who knows all about you because you posted some pictures and you put a few uh, of your quotes out there and they follow your posts and, and they see all this and they really think they know you, but they don't really know anything about you because they've never really truly met you. And they have no idea what makes you, you. They don't know your heart. That's it's because the connection is superficial. They're, they're acquaintances at best. And these were the very ones who took Jesus to the cross. They professed to know God, but they were far from him. Name droppers, like social media friends, but no true friends of God. And this part of Jesus' journey, this part of the way of the cross, it was foretold long before it happened. As we've discussed in the last couple of weeks, the way of the cross began really before the beginning. Revelation 13, 8 tells us Jesus is the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. God had a plan to deal with the fracture that occurred, this fracture called sin that separated mankind from God's presence. God had a way to deal with it and a plan and a plan that he had from the beginning and it was for someone to make amends for sin and that someone was Jesus and he made amends by giving his life. And that's terrible, you say. That's awful. God is cruel. God is cruel to require the death penalty. Christianity is bloody and it's violent. That should tell us something about sin. It should tell us something about the separation between mankind and God. Sin is awful. It's egregious. It's appalling. Sin offends God. Sin brought death into the world. Sin brought death on us. And God is just. God is merciful. How did the plan unfold? God took on human flesh. And, and he came to this world as Jesus Christ. And he felt the same pain that you and I feel. He gave his very life for our sin. Jesus opened the way to salvation from death and receiving eternal life. Even though he knew he was going to be rejected over and over again, the plan unfolded. The plan for Jesus from the creation of the world. And God revealed it and he documented it for us. And we can see Jesus. We can see his cross we can see it through the entirety of uh, Scripture. We've talked about the tree of life, the, the image of the cross. As the Bible opens, right there in the, the first pages of the book of Genesis, there's a tree of life which pictures the cross of Christ bringing life. And last week I alluded to Noah's ark being a picture of salvation and a cross and the near sacrifice of Abraham's son, another a picture of the cross. And then we talked more in depth last week about Moses raising up this bronze snake on a pole. And it was a picture of Jesus in the cross. And how could that be? How could we refer to Jesus as the serpent, the sinful one? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, Jesus did that. He became 
sin for us. He took on the sin of mankind and did that for us, even in the face of rejection by his very own people, those who would claim to know the Father. And all of it had been revealed by God a long time ago. Jesus said it. He said it more than once. But I want to give you an example of when Jesus said this about how it was how it was foretold long ago. On one occasion, now this was the day of the resurrection. We heard Noah talking about Easter and Easter Sunday. It's resurrection day. We celebrate it as the highest day of Christianity. Jesus coming out of the grave. On the day that Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to two men walking on a road from Jerusalem to a little village called Emmaus. Emmaus was about seven miles from Jerusalem, so it's a bit of a walk. And as they walked, some, someone began to walk with them. A man began to walk with them. They didn't recognize him, but it was Jesus. Jesus stepped in and he began to talk to him. He said, hey, what's going on? What are you two talking about? And they said, well, we're talking about Jesus. He was supposed to be our savior, but he was crucified. He was killed. And now his tomb is empty. They're kind of down in the dumps about the whole thing. And this is what Jesus said to them. This is Luke chapter 24. It's verses 25 through 27, and I'm also going to read 44. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, a little later, they recognized Jesus. And he said this. This is verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then, in essence, sums up the entire Old Testament. Jesus said, I've been written about by Moses and by the prophets and in the Psalms. See, God revealed Jesus from the very beginning. He revealed the cross and Moses wrote about it. The prophets wrote about it. It's in the Psalms. And let's take a look at an example of this way of the cross that's in the book of Psalms. And it's an example that points out these posers, these superficial name droppers, these uh, religious hypocrites who uh, called for the crucifixion and the execution of Jesus. Now, in the book of Psalms, it opens, the first psalm sets the stage, and it lays out a contrast between the unrighteous, the ungodly, and the righteous, those who are godly. The first psalm sets that out gives that contrast. And then in Psalm number two, we see Jesus with an explicit reference to the ungodly conspiring against him. It's another reference in the Old Testament of the way of the cross. Psalm two, it says, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. What happened to Jesus? There was Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor, and there was Herod, 
at the time, the king of the Jews. These are representatives of nations. One nation, the Jews. One nation, the Romans. And they were enemies. They were enemies. But what brings enemies together better than the same enemy? A common enemy, and they, their common enemy was Jesus. And Herod and Pilate became friends that day, the day that Jesus was uh, sent to the cross, that he was condemned. Yeah, the kings of the earth, they banded together, they conspired together against the Lord and his anointed. Part of the way of the cross, right there in Psalm 2. And then Psalm 3. Psalm 3 begins a series of first-person narratives. It's a king. A king talking about himself. Well, who's the king? It's King David. And the king does talk about himself. But in these narratives of the king, there's a portrait of Jesus. There's a portrayal of Jesus. The king, he's writing about himself, and we can see Jesus and the cross. Remember, Jesus said, Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, written about me. So let's read Psalm number three. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's short. It's just eight verses. It begins with this title, a Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Now, David is a king. He's betrayed by one of his very own. And this inscription at the top of the Psalm, this title, most uh, biblical scholars say it's historical, that it's reliable, was probably not part of the original text, but uh, they have been, these titles on many of the Psalms have been added. And this title speaks of betrayal. And we know Jesus was betrayed by one of his very own people. And it, it sort of sets the stage for the rest of the Psalm, which reads this way. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though ten thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked, for the Lord, from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Remember, Jesus met these two men on the road to Emmaus. And he said, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And what does this scripture say? Jesus, surrounded by his foes. There's a picture there. But God was his shield. Jesus cried out to his father. His father heard him. Jesus said, it is finished. And he went down to sleep, if you will. Sleep in the grave. But he awoke. He awoke and he rose from the dead. And he's risen and the Lord sustains him. And that's why the tomb is empty. They kept on walking and talking all day, these men before they finally recognize Jesus. I, I, can, I can picture Jesus walking with them and reciting Psalm 3. Do we see him 
Can we see Jesus in Psalm 3, his enemies surrounding him, God hearing him, his going down to sleep, his rising up again awake? Jesus is there. He's there. It's a picture of him and his cross and his sufferings. And he's there in verse number two. Verse number two, which I I really haven't uh, alluded to. I purposely skipped it because it's what I want to focus on. Verse two is an image of the humiliation that Jesus suffered in this way of the cross. Verse two, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Jesus was mocked on the cross. He was mocked. People were saying things like, let him save himself. If he's God's Messiah, he can bring himself down from the cross. If he's, this, if he's the anointed one, if he's the chosen one, he should be able to save himself. Let him take himself down. Matthew 27, it puts it like this, and it says it much the same way. Matthew 27, verses 41 to 43, says the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel? Let him come down now from the cross, and then we will believe him. He trusts in God? Let God rescue him, rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. What were these people saying? When they said, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him. In other words, God's not going to deliver you. This cross, this execution, it brought out the vilest hatred. I mean, how much must you hate somebody that you witness them executed or at least the beginning of their death because they're nailed to this cross. It's a slow, slow execution. And that person's hanging there, agonizing, bleeding out. How much hate is in a person who walks over now to pile on and they stand at the, at the bottom and they're hurling slurs and insults and all kinds of demeaning things to humiliate this person who can't do a thing about it. They're in their last breaths of life. And they're, they're saying, ha, 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 look at you. Isn't that depraved? It is vile. And who is doing this? Well, Matthew's gospel said it was the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders What would that say about your religion if you saw your leaders doing that? These are the ones who say, I know God. God is my friend. I follow God. But were they friends of God? They are no friends of God at all. They are posing name droppers. They claimed to know God, but they knew, they knew nothing about him. They didn't recognize his son. Yeah, they can tell you things about God, and they can recite the commands, and they can give you chapter and verse about all the rules and regulations. It's all for show. Meaningless. 
no relationship, knowing not the heart of God at all. And what might we take from this? What lesson could we peel from this, this image that was portrayed in Psalm 3 and had its reality on Calvary and the cross? There's a a New Testament passage that gives us something to ponder. It's Paul's letter to his friend Titus. I give you two, two verses, verses 15 and 16. Paul wrote to Titus and he said, To those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Wow, this, this sounds like the Pharisees who claim to know God. The elders and the teachers of the law who claimed to know God. But by their actions, they denied him. Paul said to Titus, you know, there's some who do not believe, but they claim to know God. They make this claim. They're no better than name droppers. Now, we say we believe. We claim to know God. So can we say we know him? Can we say we have a relationship with him? Because if we claim to know him, do we really know him? You know, how do we respond when the culture that we live in pushes us and, and hems us in from all around and, and pushes us to deny Jesus? When we're pressed from every side to deny our Lord, are we conscious of it? Do, do we even realize sometimes when we deny him in the workplace, in the home, at school, wherever we're at. You know, Jesus can be denied expressly. He can be denied tacitly. He can be denied with words that are untruthful or unkind. He's denied when we're conforming to the world, when we're pursuing our own pleasures and we're pursuing the pleasures of sin. He's denied when, you know, when we're on these things right here sometimes, what are we looking at? Where are we going on these devices? Oh, these computers and these cell phones. You know, I know they take a lot of people to places they should not go. People who claim to know Jesus. What are we pursuing? You know, what else are we doing on these things? We're pursuing, uh, we're pursuing likes on social media. We're pursuing our own self-gratification. Oh, what did I put out there? Did it get, did it get approved? Did it get liked? Did all my followers, uh, have they said something about it? You know, uh, we're sometimes justifying self and den- denying Jesus instead of denying ourselves to avoid what? To avoid maybe some insults, uh, some perceived uh, humiliation or persecution. And then when we're in Christian circles, what are we doing? Dropping Jesus. Are we name dropping? And then ignoring him outside of these Christian circles? Now, are we being posers? So how can we be strong? How can we be strong when we're tempted 
to say something or do something that would deny our Savior and our Lord. And I say know him. If we claim to know him, then know him and know him more. If we say, yes, I know that my Jesus suffered and he died for me and he won eternal life for me on that cross and I know him, how can we know him more? I don't have a three-point uh, I don't have three-point message for you this morning. I don't have a, uh, an outline with five steps that tells you how to do that. All I, all I have for you this morning is the Word of God, and I'll remind you what Jesus said. I'll remind you what he said to the two men he met on the road to Emmaus. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning himself. Jesus his cross, his life, his sacrifice, his suffering, all, all that he did to get to the cross, what he did to gain us eternal life, it's all right here. It's all right here. It's the surest way to know him. And Brother Rob Susan was talking to the men this week. He said there's 840,000 words in here. They're about Jesus. You know, and Jesus explained to those men on the road to Emmaus, it was in the scriptures, guys. How foolish you are. You missed it. It's all about me. It's here. It's right here. And if we don't get into this, we're not going to know him. We're not going to learn of him. We're not going to experience his presence. If, if we're ignoring this and superficially connected. If you're not taking the time to get to know him, where he expressly told us he is, Jesus said, I'm here. I'm right here. That's what he said. If we're not there, then, you know, what does this mean to us? I, I, I was listening to uh, the radio this morning, or this week, and uh, I just flipped to a, a station. And it was a talk show. This girl was talking. She said uh, she bought a book. It was a book, she said, that pointed her to the Bible. She said her family never really read the Bible. She was born and raised Catholic, and uh, she didn't know much about the Bible at all. But she began to read it, and she began to open it up and study it, and even though her family was kind of picking on her, but she said this, I came to know Jesus. Uh, I, I, I was uh, parking my car, but I stopped and I stayed in my car to listen to the end of her story because it was so interesting. She said she'd never opened this up. She opened it up and she got to know Jesus. And there was nobody trying to make her say this or anything. She, uh, she said she'd gotten busy in the last couple of weeks and she said, you know, I stopped reading my Bible because I just got so busy. And I began to miss him. I was like, wow, that's so good. She began to miss him until she opened it back up. She said, I opened it up and, and I learned some more and I've grown closer to him and I'm having a great day because I found out a little more about Jesus. See, knowing Jesus, it's right here. It's at our fingertips. And do you see him? Do you see him in here? Do you see his cross? Do you see the humility that he 
that he took on. Do you see the love and the sacrifice for you, for me? Now, I'm not saying that every stick mentioned in the Old Testament is a picture of the cross. And I'm not saying that every lamb is uh, somehow a reference to the sacrifice of Christ. I, I don't want you to strain that hard. But look for him. Look for him. He's in there. Desire a greater and a richer and a deeper relationship to know him and know him more profoundly and to know his heart through this, his word. And, and if you say, well, I, I do that, but I, I, I don't see him, invite him in. Invite him in. Just say, Lord. Simply just say, Lord, show me yourself. Show me. I'm going to open this, this up and I'm going to start reading. Show me. I want to learn of you. Simple prayer. Simple prayer. I, I, if you pray it sincerely, I trust you're going to see some of the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll, be, he'll come alive to you. The Holy Spirit will, will en, enlighten you and show you. And we've seen him. We've seen him in the earliest pages of Genesis where tree of life. We saw him last week. We learned about this bronze snake on a pole to heal people. Picture of Jesus healing us, healing us from sin, giving us eternal life. This morning, Psalm 3, his foes surrounded him, his enemies mocking him, God shielding him is dying and rising up again. All for us. All for us. Knowing Jesus is right here. As I was looking at the uh, Psalms and I, I saw Psalm 1 again. You know, Psalm 1 I've heard preached so many times. I've preached it myself. Committed it to memory. Oh, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water. Bring it forth his fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I mean, I've recited it, I've said it, I've preached it, I've heard it preached. But this week, when I was reading that again, bam, Jesus. And I'll confess to you, church, I saw Jesus there for the first time. There he was my example, the model of perfection. The only one who could perfectly walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. The only one who could perfectly not stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. His delight was in the law of the Lord. He meditated day and night. And Jesus was the one who said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. He meditated on God's word. This was my perfect example. There was Jesus right there in the first three verses of Psalm 1, and I never saw him. Oh, get into this. Get into this. And God will show you Jesus. He will. He will. Jesus, he, he achieved for us eternal life on, on the cross for all who would receive it. Now, how much more prosperous could he be? Whatsoever he does, 
prospers. Yes, he prospered. He won for me eternal life. He's the tree of life. His cross brings forth its fruit in its season. Read the book of Revelation. The tree of life yields 12, 12 crops, uh, 12 harvests, one a month. How much more prosperous? You know, could, how much more prosperous could it be than winning eternal life? Don't be a name dropper when it's convenient. Don't claim to just know him. This morning I was driving to church and Julie says to me, just out of the blue, out of the blue, she says, we cling to these things of life and then one day we're going to see Jesus face to face and we're going to say, why didn't I get to know him more? <laughs> I looked at her, I said, what? <laughs> this is what I'm preaching She's looking around at creation and she started talking about creation and we're coming down Metro Parkway. I'm coming west from east. I'm between Garfield and Utica Road. I am the only car on Metropolitan Parkway. There's one more car to turn around at Utica Road. Now you know the speed limit's 55 on Metro Parkway, right? Well, I'm doing 55, maybe 56. And this guy decides to pull out in front of me. I mean, there's, there's miles of open road behind me. But he decides to pull out in front of me. And Julie says, I don't want to die on the way to church. Because I'm going to meet Jesus. And I'm going to say, why didn't I get to know you more? I want to know him more. Do you want to know him more? Know him, know him, know him. The more you know him, the more you will affirm that. The more you will affirm that by your actions and not deny it. The more you know him. If you want to know him more, I just want to invite you to stand on your, to, to your feet. And we're going we're gonna to sing as we, uh, as we leave today. You know, I heard that song this morning. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Oh, I want to stand in the presence of someone I know, not an acquaintance. I don't want to be a poser. I don't want to be a name dropper. I want to know him more. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to look for him more. I'm going to ask the Lord, please reveal him more right here, right here in what you gave us. Jesus, you said, you're right there. You're in it all. You're throughout this. Let's know him more. And if, if you want to, even if you want to come to these altars and, and pray and ask, you know, ask God to even help you to know more, feel free. Feel free as, as we sing this song, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus.
very special and it simply says he took my sins and my sorrows he made them his very own praise God he bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone everybody see Father God, for the cross. Though that way of the cross was difficult for our Lord and our Savior, He won for us eternal life. God, may He not be an acquaintance to us, not someone that we drop a name here and there when we're around others who may want to hear Jesus. God, help us to be bold and to know you more, and to talk about you more with others, and to share you more with others. God, help us to know you more. God, for, for all those who've stepped forward and those who are standing, God, reveal to them more of Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would open the word and you would, you would bring it to life to them, God, that you would reveal Christ our Lord wherever they are because he's from the beginning to the end because he is the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last, Jesus. God, we ask this blessing, we desire this blessing to know you more, and to know your truth, and to live for you, and to not just claim it and then deny you, but to truly know you and affirm it. May it be for every person here and for every family represented. May the truth of Jesus prevail bless us. God, bless, bless all who are here with that. God, bless them and let them leave emboldened, Lord, for you. And God, I just keep continuing to pray you'd put people in our pathways that we could share Jesus with and help us to be bold, Lord. Help us to be bold for you. We ask it all in that precious name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.